Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. How much training do you do for your health and well-being versus how much was for marathon training? I used to train about 100 to 130 miles a week. Uh, <laughs> so people often ask you, you're, you're a runner, you run every day. And you're like, well, I run 12 times a week. After I retire for maybe like four or five months, I was still running like 10 miles a day for six, seven days a week. So I'm like, what am I doing this for again? And then you have to kind of scale it down to whether you want to run five miles or four miles and not feel guilty about it. It was very intense, pretty intense to be able to just be on the grind day in, day out and, you know, get ready for competition, get ready for, uh, you know, get into therapy or massage or you're always on the go because that time crunch is important to do that first run, recover and eat and then do for the second run. So it's constantly thinking until you put your head on the pillow you're constantly thinking, what can I do to better myself? This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm Pretty Intense. Welcome to the Pretty Intense podcast. Today on the show, very timely, we have Meb Kofleski. Uh, You might know him, you might not. If you do, it means that you probably run. He is an insanely accomplished runner. He won the Boston Marathon in 2014. He won the New York City Marathon in 2009. He has a silver medal in the Olympics in 2004. He went to UCLA. He has four NCAA championships, 22 national championships, was nominated for four Olympic teams, and he's written two books. So if you're into running, you've probably heard of Meb. Also, it's really cool when they have their bibs and they're big time, they basically have their name on their bibs. So you've maybe seen him. He comes from a country called Eritrea. I mean, it's just a story of attrition. It's a story. I mean, what more parallel could you could you make other than that story of attrition and the fact that you have to have so much attrition to run 26.2 miles for a marathon? Um, he just is a really good human and has in some really lovely stories and some great perspectives on um, on just life itself. And of course, some really good tips on running. So I hope you enjoy the show today. I hope you pick something up, either inspiration or perhaps some uh, running tips for your next marathon. Okay, okay, okay. I'm wondering like where I've caught you in uh, your day because I heard you say just, well, I, I know how much dedication you have. I mean, the fact that you're 46 and still doing what 26 year olds maybe can do is insane. Um, but I know that you have a lot of dedication and that your whole day is around rehab, the training, um, 
you know, the body and stretching and all the things. So like, where have I caught you at this moment today? <laughs> today? Well, you know, I usually take my daughters to my wife, take the kids to, uh, to school. And I just went for a little exercise post retirement. I'm in Tampa, Florida. And then, uh, spending some time with, you know, people ask me, what do you do besides running? And what's the other hobby is spend time with family and friends. So I was just having a nice coffee, traditional Eritrean Ethiopian coffee, where it is usually not a Starbucks 30 minutes. It's usually a couple hours. So I'm at yeah. the halfway mark. And I said, I got to go, go talk to the Dan Danica. So it's great. Doing. What has that transition been like for you? The transition from retirement is great to spend time with family and friends, but at the same time, sometimes is we're so much into routines and goals and um, tight schedule. It's kind of like you feel guilty. <laughs> you really? Feel guilty to, to, yeah, to be like, well, I should be doing this because when you're a runner, whether like you said earlier, whether you're doing therapy, whether you're doing massages, whether you're doing second run or cross training or weightlifting and all that stuff, your mind is taken away and you know whether you what you're eating and what you gotta have to prepare for or get ready for the next day for the next week for the next month or for the next race you're constantly thinking but now it's like um you know you were doing so many things now it's kind of slowed down a little bit yeah do you think it's been harder for you um physically or mentally to i mean how much do you train now i guess this, i mean because <laughs> training now is just your well-being as opposed to for a specific goal, which I'm actually curious, first off, how much different is that? Like just for the, for the regular human, right. That goes, how much training do you do for your health and well-being versus how much was for marathon training? You know, Danica, this is kind of crazy, but I used to train about hundred to 130 miles a week. Uh, <laughs> So people often ask you, you're a runner, you run every day and you're like, well, I run 12 times a week. Uh, so that puts it in perspective. But now as a retirement for health, you know, after I retire for maybe like four or five months, I was still running like 10 miles a day for six, seven days a week. So I'm like, what am I doing this for again? <laughs> and then you have to kind of scale it down to whether you want to run five miles or four miles and not feel guilty about it. Because before it was like my cool down after three mile warm up, a hard workout, and then a cool down. Sometimes I do three miles, four miles, maybe five miles, so I can take the afternoon off to let the body recover. Now I'm running that much. You know what I used to do in cool down, I'm doing it for my health. So it's kind of you know different because it was very intense, pretty intense to be able to just be on the grind day in day out, and you know getting ready for competition, get ready for. Uh, you know, get into therapy or massage or you always on the go because that time crunch is important to do that first run, recover and eat and then do the for the second run. So it's constantly thinking until you put your head on the pillow, you're constantly thinking, what can I do to better myself? And especially when sponsors and people are counting on you, you don't want to disappoint them because, you know, you drive the car, but you know, there's a team behind the team and I run the 26.2 miles, but there's a team behind the team. So you don't want to disappoint them. You want to give them 110%. And sometimes it goes really well. And other times it doesn't because mishaps happen or mistakes happen. And, but you should be grateful that, you know, you put 110%. So retirement now for health is good because my mentally is difficult. 
physically is okay because I run four, five, six miles. I'm completely happy with that. Whereas <laughs> five, six days a week, if I could do a seven your body a week, is help. Your body is good with that, but your mind is saying your mind is like lazy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, sometimes you see people, you know, for the first time in my life, you know, people are doing kind of more than I'm running. They're like, hey, I'm going to take the day off and not feel guilty. And they're like, I had a friend in San Diego. She's like, I'm not going to say who, but two of us ran and this guy did not run, you know, usually it's the other, the other way around saying, Hey, can I get a pacer on the bike? Or can I get somebody to give me fluid and things like that? You're working very hard, but now it's like. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. Okay, I need to be on a chill mode. And then, so me mentally, that perspective has been different, but also I have to teach it, kind of relearn re re how to calm down and not, why not? Because for my life, for me, as a, been an immigrant, you know, education was important. So when I was at UCLA, until I get that UCLA degree, I was nonstop eight o'clock class for five years, just go, 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 go. Maybe I missed three times or four times besides traveling from classes. So, and now you're going to be a professional athlete for 17, 18 years. That was intense to be able to just be on the grind day in, day out, because we didn't have seasons. And it's not like four months and then you take off. Then our business runners, you're constantly in the year round. So you kind of feel like a little bit of burnout. So you got to slow down and reteach yourself. It's okay to breathe. It's okay to not be your mind wander around to the next and the next thing. Yeah. Do you remember where or what happened when you kind of hit that spot? Because I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that there's change, that doing something differently for a lot of people might be training more, um, you know, <laughs> but it's just, it's still a similar challenge emotionally and mentally. And so what happened? Was there like a breaking point or a, a moment that you remember going, okay, something needs to change? And was there a breakdown or was it possibly some kind of slow progression? Slow progression. And I got to credit my wife, Iordanos, and uh, she just says, you know, sometimes you just got to breathe. You know, you, you're, you have you worked hard for the rest of your life. Now you need to kind of chill. But then another person, Cassandra Carr, she's part of the owner of the San Antonio Spurs. I remember she says retirement is different. You just do something that you used to enjoy. It doesn't mean you stop doing everything. You know, it just means mm -hmm. you got to find something passionate that you mm -hmm. are you are excited about. So I, I remember I was in San Antonio and having a, Howie, my brother and manager, he was there and we were having at her house, just kind of relaxing, having a tea. And she says, man, retirement is just doing something different that you love. And you didn't have to stop just, but now you can, 
you can go on your on your schedule what you want to do versus completely stop. And if you just try to completely stop, it's not it's not great for anybody. You know, it's not good for for you mentally and physically. But if you do a little bit of something and a little bit of another thing, eventually passion will take over. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It's like anything, and there's like uh, even some level of like uh, an addiction almost to it, where you know you have to. You don't just. I mean, cold turkey's a little dramatic, and so you know having kind of that fade and that new transition and creating new habits is you know part of the process of weaning off and sort of shifting, uh, shifting your daily activities. So, what were some things that you did that you always wanted to do? Maybe it was food. Maybe it was travel, maybe it was, um, I don't know, drinking alcohol. Cause all I know is training for this marathon. I'm like, you know, in the last, like, cause the marathon's a couple of weeks away. So, um, I'm like, I mean, I have one glass of wine now and I feel like I feel terrible from it. I feel like my recovery is horrible. My sleep is garbage. Like, you know, there are things that, you know, really change when you have that level of intensity of doing something. So I'm curious what those things were that you thought about maybe while you were training and in, in that intensity that you thought, man, if I had time or man, if I didn't have to do this in the morning, I would do it. You know, it's uh, for me, Getting up early in the morning, you know, whether it was before flight or training schedule, you got to get that run in before going on the next flight because it might be to Europe or might be time zone changes and things like that. So I said, you know, people want to meet. Hey, I'm, I'm recently moved to Florida a couple of years ago. They're like, you want to meet at 536 o'clock? I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to set an alarm. I did that for college. I did that for my workouts. Oh, yeah. I don't want to do that. But some yeah. of the thing, I have a sweet tooth. So I love having a sweet tooth. And uh, and, uh, you know, now I don't, you know, when I was my birthday, I remember when I was at Mammoth Lakes where I used to train in California at altitude, my kids and wife used to have a fruitcake for me. You know, I cannot have sugar, sugar, because I was in the middle of the season getting ready for it. So now I just say, I see dessert. I'll have it maybe twice or three times a day. You know, <laughs> I don't hold back, but it's not to go cold turkey. Also in terms of exercise for me is, um, it's part of my life. It's a lifestyle for me. You know, it's not running was my passion. It was my career. But at the same time, now I just go run whenever I want to. And then people, you know, being a distance runner is beautiful because you run into people who appreciate what you have done and they want to run, whether it's 400 meter or half a mile or a mile <laughs> with you. I say, yeah. if you, you know, if you can give up or whatever is fine, <laughs> or you can teach chat well, and then, and if somebody wants to be competitive and they pass you and you want to get your competitive spirit on, it's like, okay, you know, it's time to move that speedometer a little bit faster. <laughs> I mean, you guys are running at like a sprinting pace. I mean, you know, your average per mile is like what nobody runs one time. So it's insane. So when you say 400 meters, I'm like laughing, thinking that's not far. And then I was like, wait a minute, that might be all I could last with you. <laughs> so my only one goal in my life, as far as a bucket list goes, was to do a marathon. That's all I wanted to do was just do a marathon. And I don't know why that was it. Like most people want to go somewhere, you know, whatever, but I wanted to punish myself for 26.2 miles. And so, uh, and who's kidding? I love the challenge. I love the mental challenge. I love the physical challenge. I love having a goal and training for something. Um, so I have a lot of questions about this whole training thing. Cause it's crazy. Like I thought to myself before, 
I could probably just, cause my mind is really strong. I could just go run it. Like I could just go run a marathon. I'm not saying I'd be good at all, but I could go run 26.2 miles because my mind is strong enough. And I'm, and I almost didn't want to train, but then I was like, okay, fine. You've got this training schedule. I'll do it. <laughs> and it was about, you know, three or so months long. And um, so let's start on the macro level. Like, was there ever a lull? And then we'll get a little bit more finite because the people listening that, uh, you know, are especially people, I'm, there's going to be a lot of people listening that love running and they're going to get it and they've done a half or they've done a full maybe. Um, so this stuff is going to be so interesting, but from a macro level, do you ever take time off? in the year when you were in, when you were competing? Uh, I'm going to tell you this, when you run a marathon, the next day is a forceful time out. So, you know, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but you know, for us is you train, you train, you train so intensely, you know, and when you run a marathon, your quads will be sore and you're going to be in pain. And then it's like, it's a forced time out, you know, and yeah. for me, I take about a week off, maybe two weeks off, depends how I recover. And then, uh, and then, so, then gradually just start walking, but make sure you stretch and things like that. But yeah, it's not a season, say like football, basketball season over and get them out. It's like spring marathon, fall marathon, and a lot of races in between. So the only time you take time off is, uh, after the marathon, because wow. you definitely need it. Oh yeah, no doubt. Okay, good. That's good to know. I'm literally thinking to myself, Make sure you take a week off after if Meb takes a week off after I should take a week off after because my mind would probably tell me like four or five days later, oh, I should probably do like a like a flush run or something like I should probably just kind of run like three or four miles and just real easy. But I'm taking a week off. Thanks to you. Um, so then what was the actual amount of time that was condensed down to? specifically for the marathon. And I know it's a little tough because like a lot of people will just do a random marathon and, you know, they have, they need a lot more training to pr prepare for that one. So you have kind of an all year sort of, sort of con uh, conditioning, but when you're getting that, that last little bit specifically for a marathon, how long does that last for you? The marathon training? Yeah, like right at the end, because you're always training for a marathon, no, right? It's, it's not so, always, but right, right. I mean, people often say you need 16 weeks to train for a marathon or 14 weeks of training for a marathon. It, it all depends on the condition of the person. And somebody can pull it out in eight weeks. Some people can pull it out in six weeks. It depends what their previous uh, right. fitness was. If somebody started from scratch and then, hey, let's walk around and whatnot, and you could use the 12 to 16 weeks. But I think for me, since I've always been fit since college, collegiate years and professional, and the least amount I have done is eight weeks. And, you know, I was injured, recovered from the injury. And then, you know, you don't lose much you in terms of fitness, but mentally you lose a lot because you're not day in, day out or weekly, you're doing, not doing the exercise. So you like, you have uncertainty, can I make it, can I make it, or I might be able to make it. But if you let the fitness come to you, great things happen, positive thinking. Whereas if he says, oh, I only got eight weeks and panic attack, I got to run my long run next week. No, you don't need to do that. Let the long run be the celebration of 26.2 miles. Now, how do you get, whether you're doing five miles, six miles, 12 miles, 13 miles, accumulation of running, get into that race day without being uh, setbacks or without being injured, it's going to be okay. But if he says, you know what, I got to get five weeks out, I got to do my 20 mile run and you're only doing six, seven miles. You, you mentally defeating yourself already because you have this perception. Mm -hmm. But if he says, Hey, I just got to be smart. My previous condition is whether I've done marathons or half marathon will carry me through this race. I just got to be healthy and be mind focused and look at that date, that ultimate date of the marathon and you'll be fine. Yeah. 
what were some of the collection of modalities that you would use to um, stay sharp? Um, I know you talk about strength training and stretching and all kinds of things like that. Like last night, I was thinking I was laughing as I'm like, you know, researching and here listening to you talk about things. And you were talking about doing stretching after a run for a while. And I'm like laughing to my friend who ran her and I ran 16 miles. And I was like, we're not stretching, Aaron. Like, like we, we should probably Meb stretches afterwards. We, we don't, we're not even stretching. We're just putting ourselves in these therabody boots. Um, so, um, so what, what are the things that you do that you would really attribute to being like the foundation of your, of your, of your ability to keep going? No, there was a great coach uh, from UCLA, John Wooden. He says, it's not why you do in practice in two hours, but how you take care of yourself. So the, yes, the 60 miles training is, checklist gidane but hydration is important uh normatec or complex uh, electronics if you feel something you rather just take care of it prehab instead of rehab because you don't want to wait until you get injured so you have to think about those small things that says hey I, I'm, I'm in sync with this you know at 16 miles i feel great now how can i recover and whether it's tomorrow or then two days i can get a little bit running so you have to do I use personally generation you can. As soon as I finish my my hard workout, whether it's long run intervals or tempo, I have a packet of uh, you can uh, with a ten ounce of water. That that immediately is helping you recover. And then obviously the stretching is important. Not many people do this, but it's five minutes of your stretching that allows you not to get injured, but also helps you recover for tomorrow, for next day, for next week. But if you just say, hey, we got done 60 mile run, let's just get on the car and go. You already yeah. got intense a little bit. Your hamstring is tight, your calves are tight, your Achilles is tight, then you're prone for injury. So the stretching yeah. is not 10, 15, 20 minutes, but yeah. five minutes of stretching the, the core muscles that will help you. Which ones again? are the core? Like which ones are those? I mean, for yeah, the quads, like the tell quads, me the ones you do. The quads, the hamstring, the yep. calf, the Achilles, and the uh, adductor and adductor, and those okay. are the essentials. You know, the, you know, some people stretch their hands is fine, but the one that's going to carry through twenty six point two miles <laughs> is out of the leg. So, and the glutes, the glutes are very important. You know, you want to be able to yeah. just because you've been using the same muscle for sixteen miles, the same pace. You want to change it up a little bit. Stretching is. You know, when you're watching TV or you're hanging out, you know, comfortable with your friends or family members, it's okay to get on the on the carpet and do a little bit of stretching because you get ready for 26.2 miles at the Boston Marathon. There's a there's an excuse for it. So it's, a, yeah. it's just wonderful to be able to do those small things. But hydration is important. Um, while you eat, obviously, 60 mile run, you know, you need protein now to be able to just help your body recover from the shake. And for me, I, I'm a chicken and beef kind of guy, but some people are fish or other plants like beans and things like that, whatever. What you was your diet like? I mean, like what, what was your, I mean, like, I'm really curious your overall, you're talking about chicken and beef and things like that, but then even just before too, before you take the, you can during and after, which I'm totally going to talk about. Could you break it down into macros? Did you have like, you know, 30%? Protein, 30% carbohydrates, um, you know, 40% fat, or like how did it break down? General idea, you to have like, yes, you know, 60% carbohydrate and 30% or so of uh, protein, and then, um, you know, 15, 20% of fat that you like to have. But at the same time, depends when you do it. So if I'll, I'll walk you through my, my preparation. The night before, I will go for a 60 mile run or my long run. I would like to have spaghetti or a red sauce meatball would be good to have and salad. Um, if you don't have the, even if you don't like pasta, you can have rice, brown rice, preferably and chicken or fish a little bit. But 
once you go, you try that in your long run, you want to duplicate that on race the day before the race as well. But the morning of a workout, like a long run or intervals or tempos, it's very important for me. I like to have um, bagels. If I, if I'm not at home, if I'm at home, I like to have a uh, hembasha, which is homemade Eritrean bread. It's like similar to Hawaiian bread. I like to have put almond butter or honey in it. And I like to have maybe half a banana, just put a little potassium. I like to have uh, tea every day, but unless I'm, if I'm doing intense workout, then I will have coffee. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. If you like coffee, that's a great one to have. Okay. And then during the race, um, you know, you have to get to know your body a little bit. You got to be your own science to be able to just say, you know what, an hour before my workout, I have to eat or two and a half hours or whatever it is, because you don't want to have an issue during the workout. But for me, it's like two and a half hours or an hour and a half I can get away with. And then during the race, I would just have the age of you can or electrolytes. Every, every 15, 20K, I would like to have that if I'm doing a long run or tempo run. Um, you know, tempo run is race pace or a little bit faster than race pace. And long run is kind of slower than race pace. Just, you just, you just turn there time on your feet. It's not even the pace, not that important. Just got to be time on my feet to get ready for 26.2 miles. So the, hey, that's so, it then. so tomorrow, yesterday, if you did your long run, uh, you know, I know you have great support system and, uh, you know, sometimes on my long run 20 or longer, sometimes I'll go a minute per mile slower. And just time on your feet. You just put in the time on your feet. And then the tempos, be race pace or a little faster. You combine that with the long run and the tempo run race pace, you're going to be fine for 26.2 miles. Oh, God. Thank you. You just put that together. That's where the tempo is where you get the speed. And then the long run is in time on your feet is where you get the distance. And then they kind of merge together. I've been literally running like every time I'm like, well, I wonder if I can do like <laughs> sub nine for this whole time I run this long run. Or I'm like, you know, it might be a shorter run. And I'm thinking to myself, can I, you know, run an 830 pace? I know, don't laugh at my times. Um, can I run eight miles times. for this, you know? And so anyway, um, wow, gosh, I, I really made that mistake. And I wonder if other people do too. I, I, I never really put that together that the tempo is for the speed and the time, the distance was for the time and they come together. That's yeah. And then, you know, we have intervals called intervals that you can do a little bit repeats, where there's a maybe three times mile repeats a lot faster than race pace. Like you're saying, maybe it's like eight minute pace or 830 and whatnot and start nine minute pace, go to 845 and then 830 and then maybe finish up an eight minute pace. And guess what? With that uh, eight minute pace with the slower, lower long run, maybe at 10 minute pace or nine and a half minute pace, it comes together to give you 810, 815 or 8, 840 uh, per mile. And it comes together. It beautifully does, you know, especially when, you know, when you, it's a work of art, when you put it all together, week in, week out training, and when you have to do a beautiful 26.2 miles and it's, 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 it's beautiful when it comes together. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, so the way that, and then, then during is like a thing, you know, so getting that down and figuring out how often, and do you ever drink? Like you don't, I'm carrying like a bottle of water. I've got a packet with all kinds of like stuff in it where I can pull out something that I need. Um, but, um, but I, I ended up learning that every four miles was how often I would take a, you can, and that seems to work for me. And I would just drink water generally like every, every mile I would take a, take a big gulp. Um, so how often did you, was that, 
and you can really is great. Like I tried a few others <laughs> and it's so much easier to take. And then I got a technique down where I was like, oh, you just roll it up and then it all goes in pretty easily instead of trying to hang on to it. So there's like lots of little things that go into the speed and the transitions and the accessibility of things. So um, how did you, how do you break it down in your race? Do you even, do you, what do you take during the race? So uh, being a lead athlete, I guess we have a little bit of an advantage because we, special drinks are waiting for us every 5K. Uh, so every three miles, uh, our, um, usually my UCAN is waiting for me and I would have... There's someone uh, there? There's someone on the course for you? Yeah, sorry. This one is a little advantage, oh. you know. <laughs> You're a pro. I, I didn't know. I, that's cool. Okay. And then is it a is it a cup or is it a bottle? So we have a regular water bottle, regular water bottle um, that is already mixed with our electrolyte in there. Yeah. Um, every each table will have, you know, there's about maybe 30 or 25 elite athletes. So it'll be map table three, first one on the on the table three. So every time, every 5k, 10k, 15 miles, I look for table three. And not first one on the table, and there's four or five points got to be kind of coordinate. Like, um, this is if there's any similarities, this is where the racing <laughs> your racing comes in because you got to be able to just maneuver in a way. Hey, I got to go to table three, I got to pick out the first bottle, and then after you get that, you got to get out of the way. And so, a lot of uh, mishaps can happen. <laughs> A lot of passing, a lot of cutting and jiving and, yeah, and then people, people get a little, do people get a little shitty? Like, do they, do they, do they? Okay. Okay. That's part I gotta of shake my head. I got to shake bit. my head for that one. <laughs> and then, you know, some people will take your drink because they miss their drink. What? So you gotta, <laughs> and, no. and yeah. And I have missed my drinks or somebody has taken and then you got to tap them on the shoulder. Hey, get, you gotta sprint and catch up to something. Hey, that's mine. <laughs> I'll drink first. If I have leftover, you can have it. But other than that, it's a that's the equivalent to like time. That's the equivalent to taking someone out, right? Like you have to go, like give me that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, punting you out of the way. Yeah, I mean, and 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 a lot of you know tactically, that's where tactics happen. So. And the uh, we call it fluid station. And then at that point, you know, some people will get their fluid and they will sprint. So this is where they sprint. So they don't allow you to drink. They carry their water for 400 meter or 500 meter sprint while everybody's drinking. Because when you're drinking, you can't really swallow it. And they make that move and, you know, sprint. And, then, you know, you, when you have digestion or whatever, it's not going, you, they, they sprint. And then eventually when they come and slow down a little bit, when they want to, they can drink. So you, sometimes you have to be prepared to just hold on your water, carry you for 400 meter, quarter of a mile, or even maybe half a mile even. So because... If everybody's surging, you don't want to be get stuck drinking and that stuff happened when you're trying to go a lot more faster than usual. Mm, yeah. So um, do you mix in? Uh, so it's the electrolytes. Do you take any of the do you take any of the you can energy packets like in the packet or or is it already in the fluid? So it, marathoning is an experience uh, for me. On the beginning of my career, I was having I would I would tape it you know, the gel or whatever, but now I use edge from you can, but you tape yeah. it and you can, you know, you use your mouth to kind of tear that thing up and then little roll coming to the, the, in your mouth and then you would have your fluid next to it. So you can, you can gap it down. But uh, I learned this from my good friend, Ryan Hall, who is a great runner and uh, fellow teammate, uh, Mammoth Lakes and also in the Olympics. He goes, why don't you just put it in, in the pack, in the, in the water bottle? So it made sense, you know, I would put my uh, uh, electrolyte or gel 
you, you can age in the in the water bottle. And then when you get to the 15 case, I don't have every water bottle with that. I have electrolytes and then I have caffeine or age on uh, 15 and 20 and 25K, just because if you miss one, you don't, if you miss 15, you don't want to be until 40 to not have it. So you want to be able to just put it next to each other. Got it. Um, and then I would shake it, just shake it as much as I can before I take gulp and then it kind of mixes and then you have it all at once. Um, that's one of the things that I learned later on in my career, but you know, it's, you have to, you know, you have to train with it, obviously, in, in, in training. So kind of practice. So because you don't want to have it too often because you don't want to have bloated stomach, but you want to have the right amount. And sometimes just put that edge you can in it, split the drink into two water bottles instead of having it all at once. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you take little breaks during the week. You don't always consume it. It's like part of like really intense training as opposed to regular training. Absolutely. Yeah. When, yeah. when the rigor is kind of, you trying to duplicate what the race is going to be in very yeah. intense. So is that, you ever use real food? Do you ever use real food in your <laughs> other training? No, no. I have a friend of mine that, that, uh, that in San Diego that says that, Hey, I should just pack to give you a lounge pouch or whatever it is. So I can just do a sandwich and <laughs> have a sandwich <laughs> when you, you know, because for, for us, that's why I use, you can, you know, you get, an hour before the run and then I'm there for two, two, two hours and 20 minutes or so. I don't need a lot to carry, but I think to have it maybe 45 minutes before the gun goes off, it can carry you for two or three hours. Um, but no, I never tried real food, but it'd be funny. Maybe as a retired athlete, I have to do that down the road. Oh, the sandwich can carry you for two or three hours or the you can edge can carry you for two or three hours. The you, the you can edge can carry you for two to three hours. Well, I feel like a real... I feel like a really amateur athlete then because I take one every four miles, which is like every like 35, 40 minutes. But, you know, you don't want to feel that, you know, if that works for you is everybody's different. You know, if, if you have tried it and works for you, stick with it. But eventually, you know, hopefully we'll get you into this uh, community of running, of marathoning. Uh, when you do the other one, you kind of experiment with it. Maybe do it every 5K, every three miles and see how that, you know, take a good measure of the fluid, you know, maybe six, seven ounce, uh, when you can at that 5k and then carry that to, uh, uh, 10k and then 15k or every three miles that can, you know, kind of inside will help you, I think tremendously. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I'm learning so much to how to become a professional runner. Um, in the meantime, I'm just going to carry all my things with me in a little packet. When you came across the UCAN products, uh, what, I mean, what was it about them and, and what made you partner with someone like UCAN? You know, I got introduced to UCAN in 2009 and Dr. Krista Austin is the one that introduced me to, to it. I'm a dietitian and, uh, exercise physiologists and i remember you know just hearing the the, the name you can you know and to be able to win the new yeah. york city marathon <laughs> you can put your mind to whatever you want and it was just an incredible name but also and then i said let me try it out i always try the product and see if i agree with me and i i like to have it and you know the story behind jonah how it started with the family fellow man and you know his parents have to wake him up every two to three hours to feed him because of glycogen storage and that won my heart and to be able to you know that's how it started and then i became the first athlete they signed and it was just you know it wasn't even the the superstar was amazing i think I, when i won new york i was traveling a lot but making a lot of appearances and i wasn't running a lot but you know, I was taking the you can shake, and people said, you know, how many miles are you running? You're looking fit and strong. And you know, I think it was just uh, timing of it that was able to help me be lean and strong and consistent 
energy. And ever since, you know, I never, never looked back. Uh, I used the edge. I also use the, the, the shake afterward and three times a week, you know, intervals, tempos and long run is the first thing with my system and has done the longevity has gave me is the my secret weapon with you can just be able to just share it with it with others. Now, if you haven't tried it, it's the time to try it to help you be the best that you can. And I feel fortunate to be working not only with this, the company, but the, the partnership and uh, support that I have gotten from the whole family, the community of you can is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's, it's just magic when something finally works. And especially on top of it, when you find a company that, you know, has integrity and purpose, it's like a match made in heaven. Absolutely. And I feel that way for you, Ken. It's just, it's just, just been, you know, just, you know, you know, if the word goes around and you hear it, you know, but being part of the sport is, hey, I'm Ev, I travel, you can. And that's, you know, it's working because it's not like you, you endorse it and then you didn't hear about it. But being a distance runner, it's like, hey, Mev, I want to meet you because you can has worked for me. You know, I used to have GI problem, but now I use you can. I'm good with it. And hey, what is the, what is the, you know, what, how else do you use it? And it's just wonderful. You know, hopefully, you know, when we were in Boston, we started with 20, 20 people at the, you know, in 2010. Now we got, you know, 400, 500 people knowing about it and sharing to the running community. And, uh, and I heard you've been using it. So it's incredible to be able to see uh, people use it. And, and I, you know, it's just a wonderful product and the people that are sustained with it is, is just also incredibly equal. So uh, then the strength training, I think, is maybe the other aspect, because I mean, for myself, I remember I was doing an 18 mile training run and I had done some deadlifting and, you know, you know, basically like a lot of posterior work, glutes and hamstrings a few days before the run. And I was still a little sore and I went running. And I mean, that another, another thing I want to ask about is heat because I'm, I live in Arizona. So Scottsdale is very hot. And so I was running at like six to 9.00 AM, 6.30 to 9.30 in the morning. And I know, I know you're so fast. Um, but I, you know, it's very hot here. So, I mean, I wear actually it's, you can see the tan line probably from my, my watch, but I wear a Garmin and, you know, it was peaking at like 109 degrees. And so, you know, between having posterior soreness from strength training, as well as then the heat, which I'm, those are two separate things. Um, it was a, it was a disaster. Strength training is important, you know, obviously, you know, the ligaments and uh, muscles need to be strengthened to carry you 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles. And, you know, you just got to be just like a strategy race. You got to strategize when to do them also, because you don't want to do them after you're doing 60 mile run or, you know, on the easy days, you want to be able to do it. You know, sometimes you got to change your long runs or your intensity because you did not feel like you were up to it or happy to get the best out of yourself. So that, that means if the training core training is the next day, you don't want to do the long run or intervals and then go stick to that routine. You have to be flexible to be able to change, but you know, as much as, you know, weight, your body weight is good or the bars, you just want to get those muscles kind of limbery and really, um, tensile up a little bit to be able to help you carry the, carry the, the, the duration. I think, um, you know, the Dyna disc or the medicine ball is important doing the curls or hamstring curls and the, and the medicine ball is very important to be instead of going to a gym and be able to, to lift big weights because you know 26.2 miles is a long ways, but at the same time, you want to be able to just nurture those muscles as healthy as possible and you know do it in a fun way, you know, and push-ups, sit-ups, core important is very important. I mean, uh, I can hear say here and talk to you all about that stuff, but I have a 
a book called Metal Mortals that tells you all about the strength training and con conditioning and crash training because as a distance runners, we cannot, sometimes we are prone to injuries and you have to prevent it if it becomes big problem. So taking a day off, going for a swim or taking a day off or going on a lip to go ride is important. So things instead of, hey, it's on my schedule, I got to do it. Don't try to be to the book, you know, as much as you can. You try to, but at the same time, if you have to know what is best for Danica to be able to say, you know what, coach or team, I need to take a day off today because things do not, I just sleep well the last night. So that 16 mile run, we're going to do it tomorrow or the next day versus say forcing it and sticking and rigid to it. It can, it can uh, prone to be a little bit of a problem. So you got to be flexible, but at the same time, strength training is just important to be able to get to your posture. You know, I don't know if you wear sunglasses, but uh, you, should <laughs> you gotta wear your glasses hopefully during the during the run as well so that way because we get fatigue i use my maui gym to be able to just when i'm running because when you fatigue your head goes down but if you have sunglasses this for the whole time so it won't slip so that's another trick that i'm teaching that i'm sharing with you oh man actually that was something witnessed is that i kind of run a little like chest down and mm -hmm. i i I really try to concentrate on that after it was pointed out. Um, but I don't wear sunglasses and I, and I probably will wear a hat, but I, I actually, I mean, I'd never wear a hat either. My eyes are not very sensitive. And so I think to myself, I don't really squint that much, but it is probably some level of a drain. And it's also a little bit of a, it's like a, it's almost like wearing some, you know, people will tape their bodies in areas that are sort like reminds you to have the right sort of posture, as you said. So interesting. I don't know if I'll wear sunglasses because I'm almost down to the wire and I don't know which ones wouldn't bother me, but in the future, if I were to ever do a marathon again, I will train with sunglasses for that, that, um, body position reason. That's a, that's a great one. Um, you know, even though, you know, you don't wear glasses, but you got to constantly think, you know, shake the hands, like, you know, just let them loose every, 5k or every four mile just let you know because you know you're, you're running like this just let them down yeah, the yeah, blood yeah. flow come in but also thinking about you not wearing sunglasses about to say how's my posture you got to think okay how's my posture am i staying tall you know just imagine you have an egg on top of your head you don't want to tilt it whatever you just want to be tall and that's going to help you just do that maybe every 10k or something you don't have to think. you do it four or five times and it's when you'll be okay i mean you you're, you have so many different modalities you became such a you know, insanely accomplished, highly tuned athlete, and you took it so seriously. But I want to go back to how you got that way. And, you know, hearing your story about uh, growing up in uh, Atreya and living by your, living without your family from five to 10 years old, and then moving to Italy. I mean, you've had quite a path. And I, I'm wondering, like, first off, what do you, what is your family like? How did, how did that go? So you got separated at five years old and, and did you, did you get, were you back together with them when, when you were 10? So, and uh, thanks for bringing that up, Danica. And in Run to Overcome, my autobiography, I discuss about how I was born in Eritrea and my dad has to flee from Eritrea to Sudan because he was wanted by the Ethiopian soldiers. So he was going to get prison or killed. So my mom has to kind of have a hard talk. Just tell him, hey, you might want to take this chance. You know, it's not like you get on a flight, but he has to go over 225 miles in the wilderness. And sometimes he has to spend the night in the trees on top of the tree in the branch because, 
you know, you know, if he's on the ground, there's hyenas, lions, scorpions, and other animals that can take his life. So he survived it. But, uh, you know, my, my, my parents had five kids and one on the way. And uh, they tell him to say, if it's, if it's a girl, call her Bimnet, or if it's a guy, call him Bim, uh, girl, call her Amina, which means with belief that one day if I make it a safe land, I will look after you. So I did not see my father from the age of five till I was 10. And my mom and I, brother and sisters grew up in a third world country, no electricity, no running water, where we have to fetch the woods to have fire so we can cook meals and go two to three miles to get that. And in fact, one day I was in the vicinity of another border and I got caught, unfortunately, and trying to get as much uh, uh, woods I, as I can. And I got caught and my mom, you know, we have to be spend the whole day there. And my mom has to come and bail us out with a, about a, a water bottle size of uh, grain to like a bail bond almost to allow us to escape. And then you got to go two to three miles to go to get to the water out of the well and, you know, carry it on yourself or put it on a donkey to be able to do that. So, but fortunately, my dad made it and you know, didn't see him for five years. And there was great people who helped us escape from Eritrea. Um, Dr. Brindici, uh, his boss, and Leta Michael, who's my, my uh, sister Ruth's mom. I have half-sister Ruth. And they worked together to be able to escape. And I remember there's so many generosity people in the world. And uh, my dad asked his boss if he could lend them, this is 1986, if he could lend him a uh, 10, 10 million lira uh, Italian Italian money at the time was six thousand US dollars, and he says, "Is that to save some one one person or to save everybody?" And my dad said, "You know, with the money that I have and worked, it will save everybody." And Dr. Brindici, his boss, said, "Come back Wednesday," and he came back on Wednesday, and he gave him ten million lira cash, and he says, "This is not alone; it's a gift." That's how we got saved, and. Uh, that's how we made it to, from Eritrea to Italy. And we live in Italy for a year and a half. And uh, I saw TV for the first time <laughs> as a 10 year old. I did not understand how people fit in that side that TV. So I went behind the TV to see if they were there. And uh, that's <laughs> humble beginning. But, you know, fortunately, we came to the United States on October 21st, 1987. And uh, we worked hard. And, you know, we were. How old were you then? I was 12th grade. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 year old in seventh grade. So my oldest brother had the most difficult because he was placed without, we didn't speak English. So we were just placed by our age and we didn't have any, my brothers had a little bit more education than I did, but so you are 15 years old, you're gonna be in uh, ninth grade or you're 12 year old, you're supposed to be in seventh grade, but they luckily for me, they put me in elementary for one year just so I can learn English. And the following year in 2000, um, 1988, I was uh, in PE class uh, in San Diego, next to the San Diego Zoo, if you're ever there, check it out, Roosevelt Junior High Middle School. And then he said, if you run hard, you're gonna get A or B, make sure you take this mile run seriously. He told the whole class and my parents always expected an A for them class. And I had two older brothers who ran for Roosevelt Junior High and they had the Roosevelt, Roosevelt Junior High My Club shirt and I wanted to be like them. And so when the coach says go, I just ran as hard as I can. It wasn't around the track four times, it was around the baseball field, around the softball field, and then go to the middle of the campus, down the ramp and finish up the ramp. and. Uh, to get the tissue, you have an A. To get the tissue and A, you have to run uh, six six fifteen. I end up running five twenty, and he goes, he couldn't believe it. He's like, he called the high school coach, and uh, he says, this guy's gonna go to the Olympics. He said, you're gonna go to the Olympic, but I'm like, um, do I get a t-shirt? Do I get an A and do I get a t-shirt? Yeah, I don't know what the word Olympic meant. I'm I'm just really learning my English, so I have no idea. And I went and asked my dad that evening. I says, what's the Olympics? And he says, what'd you do? What happened? He's like, uh, Coach Duke Lord says, I ran, I'm going to go to the Olympics in my native tongue, obviously. And 
He goes, well, the Olympics are every four years and they get peace and harmony, different continents and countries get together for a friendly competition. And the rest is history. Uh, uh, after that, I got my t-shirt, my A, and I started making friends, high-fiving people. And, you know, my picture was in the gym. And, uh, you know, they said I was known as a fastest seventh grader. <laughs> that would be a fact. Do you think that when your teacher said if you run fast, you get an A, that that was planting some kind of seed within you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it says, I'm, I, I believe giving 110% every time and each time. And my parents expect the same thing in school. They want to say, hey, this is the land of opportunity. Make sure you work hard. In fact, my dad woke us about 4.30 a.m. before 7.30 o'clock clock on weekdays to learn English through the dictionary. So yeah, I want to get that I badly because my parents said so. And then when Coach Duclerc said, you're going to get an A, I said, what I need to do? And I want to run as fast as, as I can and try to hit aim for that 615. But I surprised myself and his expectation as well. And, and uh, you know, when he saw that in his clock, he couldn't believe it. He's like, he called the high school immediately. He's like, this little one is really good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's how I was introduced to, to get an A or T-shirt. But at the same time, I feel that's when my God-given talent was discovered. And after that, I never looked back. And I think sports is great to be able to give you confidence and, you know, give you camaraderie and then also the friendship that you make. I was a very shy and timid kid. And that kind of breaks that shell for me. Was that your moment or was that the moment other people knew? Do you remember when it hits you that you're like, I'm good at this. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, definitely help others kind of make friends, I guess you say, you know, give you high fives on, on when you're going from one campus to another. But for me, that was like a boost, boost of confidence. It's like, oh, this is this was fun. You know, I was not like I never do this one again. It was just like, this is cool. And, you know, the easiest A I ever got. <laughs> and, and the rest is, you know, I was able to just carry on that. And then, you know, it had helped that two oldest brothers ran for that school and then for San Diego High. And then I'm like, oh, when I was in eighth grade, they were on the cross country team. I'm like, well, there's a picture of me behind the tree, just kind of like, oh, maybe one day I'll be there with them. Yeah, exactly. So kind of observing and then it just kind of built up on that seventh grade and then eighth grade and then ninth grade, I was able to join them for the cross country team. And I was honored to make the team. And then, you know, as a brother and sisters, we were able to win the San Diego section and then advance to the state. So kind of, kind of build, build up, build up and build up to be a, a great journey for all of us. Oh, so you guys probably ran together. You trained together then. Yeah. Yeah. So it was 12th grader and a sophomore and a freshman, uh, but we didn't know training that much. So whenever the team got together, we ran, but we, we did not train on our own. <laughs> oh, well, you didn't need to. It's probably yeah. good that you didn't have to wear your body out at that age. You know, you got to sort of run when you needed to, and it was already uh, winning uh, tournaments and meets for you, I'm sure. What was it like for your brother? You said you have two brothers? I have two older brothers, and then I have three other brothers, um, one of the 10 brothers and sisters. So for the brothers that also ran and that were on the team at Roosevelt, um, I mean, how did, how did it go? Because you came, became a big star and you went on to UCLA and, you know, did they go on to college? Were they running for a college? And, you know, how has that been? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, I, I have a sister and, you know, I know how it went and I know how amazing my sister is, but it's still success, especially if somebody else is kind of involved can be, tricky 
Yeah, I mean, I think there uh, was great to be with them. And then my oldest brother, Futsum, he ended up going to UC San Diego and he ran for them. So he, I started when I was seventh grade. He started when he was like nine, or maybe even sophomore, when he was sophomore in high school. So he didn't have the proper training and he was more prone to injuries because for some of those other teammates, they've been running for six years, four years or whatnot. So when he went to UCSD, he, he was the seventh man on the team. And then by the end of the season, he was the second man from seventh to second place on the team. So he was very proud of that. And then eventually had an ACL tear and playing soccer and that let that go. And then my middle brother, all those brothers, Futsum and then Akrilu, he was kind of like, um, you know, a mentor for me because he was closer in age. And then sometimes we would go for a run. If we did for warm up for soccer practice, kind of sometimes like, you can't breathe so hard. If you breathe hard, you're telling your competitors, you are tired. So you gotta breathe deeper and kind of not make notice. So but training with him was uh, in high school was fun and be able to, you know, he was the guy and number one guy in the team as a fresh, he was a sophomore, I was a freshman. And then he's, he was goofing around a little bit with a bike, riding a, somebody else's bike and he fell and hurt his hip. And then I took over. And then uh, after that, I became the number one guy and he became the number two guy, but eventually did the 800 who, you know, he did really win the 800. And then he still, his passion was soccer, but he did whatever he could to run and to help the team. But, uh, you know, he's they're, they're happy for me. And then my oldest brother and uh, younger brother went to Sydney, Australia on my first Olympic team. He's my brother goes, he had because, like I said, I didn't know what Olympic was. And for him now, he's, you know, he's graduated college and then he's in Sydney, Australia, at the Olympics. He says, if I was, if I knew I had any idea this was the Olympic, I would have kept running. So he did not know the information. But we were all talented, you know, equally talented, if not, you know, Futsum was actually probably a little bit more talented, but he was more prone to an injury. So you went to UCLA. What, what did you go for? You know, I when I went to UCLA, I was under Coach Bob Larson, but it was one of the most diverse schools that I think, uh, public school that was there. And it was the number one athletic and academic combination school. So uh, I don't want to be another athlete who never got the diploma. So the pressure for me to get my UCLA degree was huge on me and my family. And even my mom at one point is because I was running more miles. Now I was getting skinnier. So like, you know, you should stop this running thing because, you know, you're getting tired. You should just get a job like your brothers that on a, on a desk. But I said, mom, it's paying for my education, but I also love it, you know, and then eventually uh, I studied communication with business. And then once I graduated in 1999, uh, became professional and then start competing. And, uh, you know, what a thrill of a lifetime to graduate from UCLA. And I said, now I can give running a full priority because definitely did not take priority when I was at UCLA academics did. And, and then, uh, you know, I did after the training and, uh, started doing that. And then also going to Sydney, Australia, just to wear the red, white, and blue, uh, singlet. It means so much for me, for the country that gave me opportunities to, to be the best that I can since I was the age of 12. And it was a kind of, pinch yourself you know this is a dream come true so it was a it was a blessing and uh i i, I wasn't stayed in the village and i got the flu that was going around so i was not in my 100 percent. and you know when you're so fit you are more prone to get sickness and injured but i finished 12 they had a prelim for the 10k 6.2 mile there was a prelim for it I, I was the second last guy to qualify and i finished the race um 12th place. I was so happy. And my dad was there, you know, my mom was there. My, my brothers were there. And they're like, my dad is like, this is the dream come true for America, for America. I you know you're going to win tonight, son. I'm like, dad, I have not broken 28 minutes. The guys that I'm competing against, they're running 26, 30. I'm like, I hope I didn't get lapped, <laughs> you know, plus I'm sick, but he's, he was a little bit disappointed. So you got to think positive, you know, but I said, dad, 
you know, Haile Gebrselassie from Ethiopia, Paul Turga from Kenya, those guys are a minute and a half faster than I am, but I hope to give my best shot. And I did, I finished 12, but before I left the stadium, I said, I'm happy to represent our country uh, in the Olympics, but next time around, I hope to make the team and also win a medal for our country. And, you know, in 2004, uh, I, had a, I had made the 10K team and the marathon, but the marathon is such a, it won the history over me because of my ch chances of meddling was better than the 10K because I was a national champion, American record holder in the 10K. Whereas in the marathon, this is my fourth marathon. I was the 39th fastest guy in the field. The chances were not pretty, but to be in Athens, Greece, where the Olympics started, where the marathon got its name from, and to, you know, to be a hot, hilly, and humid uh, challenging circumstance, I think it's not going to favor world record. So I said, you know what, I got to put my grit down and uh, do the proper training. And we worked hard with Dina Castor, who was a female runner who got bronze medal and her coach, Jovi Hill, coach Jovi Hill and my coach, Bob Larson, we kind of secluded ourselves in Mammoth Lakes and trained hard and to be able to go to Athens and be able to, you know, win two medals for our, for our country and win a silver medal for me. Where I met my dad the first time in five years in Athens, Greece, before going to Italy to be able to be there and win that medal meant so much to me. Wow. Wow. Where do your parents, are your parents still alive? Fortunately, yes, my parents are still alive and they're in San Diego, California, where I grew up. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're, they're blessed. You know, we always uh, celebrate October, October 21st through call, phone calls or uh, uh, because that was the rebirth of our family, you know, and when we first came to the United States, I will never forget that day, you know, um, October 21st, 1987, we're coming up now in, uh, you know, 34 years uh, almost. So it's, uh, it's a blessing. And, uh, you know, whenever I get the opportunity to spend time with them, it's always a joyful moment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, I feel like you, you're an, uh, you have intention, you have depth and you have integrity. Um, I'm wondering, you know, where do you get that from? And is religion or spirituality a part of your life? Um, was that, was that ever a part of your life? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, Greek Orthodox is what I was raised and, uh, be able to just, you know, been an immigrant and it was not, we were not going to church as much because we were location to location to different locations, yeah. but we, I was baptized when I was four years, uh, 40 days old and, and be able to just kind of believe in, in God. And my, my dad always said, you know, when he was in that journey of 225 miles, he was gunpoint at one point, but the gun never went off. So he says, if God wasn't in my life, that would be the end of it. So he feels to that this day, you know, my journey to make that and survive, there's a higher power in God to allow us the life that we have. And, you know, for us, we're very of the fortunate ones that have come out of third world country and make a living for our life. But we know better than anybody or anybody. We just feel very fortunate that God has given us this mercy, this journey, and us to be faithful and and believers to be able to be the best that we can. But yeah, it's important to uh, understand where you came from. For me, I go back to Eritrea, and after I did my first marathon in New York in 2002, I went to Eritrea to see to see for the first time and kind of remember a little bit when I was. 10 year old, but you know, you kind of forget sometimes where you came from. And when I went back to see that, I was able to um, relive a little bit, you know, how people were surviving, no electricity, no running water. Uh, they got to go, Big difference. you know, and complaining about my last 40 minutes of the marathon was kind of 
small scale versus people are from sunrise to sunset, they're working diligently. And for me, it was just two hours, three hours of hard work, which nobody forced me to do. I enjoy doing it. And it was my profession. So to look back gives you strength to what you could potentially do because you are grateful for those opportunities. You know, uh, you asked me earlier, you know, in 2008 was I had a big, big mishap, you know, after winning silver medal in Athens, after getting second in New York, 70 days later and third in Boston, you're like, oh, I'm ready for a win, you know, which, which marathon I'm going to win. But you don't always get what you think you deserve. And I had a uh, 2008, uh, November of 2007, the trials were in New York City Marathon where I had made a name for myself. And unfortunately, you know, my good friend Ryan Shea passed away for having cardiac arrest and I finished eighth in the race. So it was just like, and I learned after the finish that my good friend has passed away. I just kind of went to the ground and couldn't get back up. People lift me up. I couldn't walk. I was on my knees and elbows crawling like a 10 month old baby because oh. I don't fall, but it was just, but eventually 10 weeks later, we realized that I have pelvic stretch fracture. And because when life is taken away from you, injury is the smallest part of that element. And uh, I kind of put it two and two together and I say, you know what? But somehow, some way you have to move forward when things get challenging and circumstances are hard on you. And I just remember believing and also praying with my wife and my brother. I said, I know what I did in training did not exemplify the results I wanted to hear because my wife is like, when she saw me on my knees and elbows moving from one place to another in the hotel, she's like, there's not a way to make a living. We have your college degree. I got my college degree. We got to do something else. I said, well, faith, God has something. If that's, if God says, this is it, I'm okay with it. I have my silver medal to prove it and I'm not to prove anything else. I'm, I'm cont- com- com- completely happy, but I knew down deep there was more that I could do and you know, I said, my Olympics will be the New York City Marathon. I can't wait another four years. And to be able to just run the New York City Marathon wearing that USA jersey and be able to win it and a personal record time is, you know, is there's hope. If there's hope and there's faith, amazing things can happen. Don't give up in the moment, you know, just believe in yourself, believe in your team and great things are waiting for you. Do you have a mantra or something that you say to yourself when things are hard? Yeah, I usually say I pray, uh, but I also say run to win, which, which means getting the best out of yourself. You know, sometimes you, everybody's hurting. When you run 26.2 miles, you're going to struggle at one point or another, but you know that. So you got to say, okay, the beauty of running is, okay, let's scale back a little bit to, you know, if you're going 9.45 or 9.30 pace, it's okay, let's go to the, you know, 9.50 and get it back. And then we want to go finish at 9.30. You know, you have to have those internal dialogue within yourself and your team. So for me, Sometimes I pray, hey, you know, when I was running the, 20, the 2012 Olympic Games, I was ready to drop the towel. I was really struggling. I was 30, 37 years old, and I thought it was my last Olympics. I was at 21st place with the, at the halfway mark, and my goal was to win top three or personal best, and I, none of it was going to happen. So I'm like, you know what? This church looks a good place to drop out. But then I realized, looking down, I said, I have that USA jersey. How many people would love to be in my shoes? And I came positive thinking. I prayed. I said, God, let me get me get a second group, you know, get a second group and then just running with them. He said, maybe I could be one of those guys. And then eventually from 21st place, I'm in 15th, I'm in 10th. And with 5K to go, I was in sixth place. My coach pointed out six fingers. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, and you're barely trying to finish. It says you're a president of your country. Keep going. And, you know, amazingly, you don't know what happens. Sometimes people get drug tested and they test positive, not in the moment, but down the road. And I said, I got to get that fourth place. And I remember the Santos, my friend from New York, from Brazil, who ran New York. 
he was with me in, uh, with a, with a 500 meter to go. I have to pass him. But I said, good job, the Santos. But in my mind, I'm thinking, go pass him as fast as you can. <laughs> and I kind of see the, our flag on the left side. Like, should I grab the flag or should I not? Because he's trying to chase me down. And then I grabbed the flag and came in fourth place. So be in the moment and, and say, run to win, get the best out of yourself. Sometimes, even though you feel uh, given up, uh, if you're not injured or medically wounded, just stay with it because positive things, it will teach you more about yourself and how to overcome adversity in those situations, what you can do when things go perfectly, even though sometimes you struggle to the finish line. Mm, that's good advice. Do you have or feel like you have a certain purpose, like an overlying life purpose, a message, something that you want to show people do accomplish have make peace with do you feel a sense of purpose for something specific i'm a believer and uh, obviously god has a purpose for me on this earth and that our purpose is to influence people to run it and i uh i wish i could say that when i was seventh grade i wish i could say that when i won four ncaa titles or break an american record but the greatest purpose for me on the earth was on uh uh, April 21st, 2014, uh, when I ran the Boston Marathon. You know, as you know, I won the Boston Marathon, but a year prior to that, uh, something was taken away from all of us, mentally, physically, and some human being that we could never get back. But um, I was there. Uh, I missed the bombing by five minutes because I was watching my fellow runners for four hours plus because I never get this opportunity to do that. I love seeing people run. I enjoy it immensely. And I left because I had an appointment and the bombing happened. And as soon as I got to the Fairmont Copley, which is not too far away, and I remember um, Don, um, Bonnie Ford from ESPN.com, she asked me, are you scared to bring your family? That same evening or are you going to come back or what is where are you right now and i remember telling her i hope to be healthy enough to win it for the people and i remember saying that that afternoon and for 365 days you have that conscious you have to live with when you see the boston strong or when you see the red Sox doing something or you know you know t-shirt or hat and things like that when you travel around the country you see that it's like you're praying. Say, like, God help me that day. I hopefully to win it. And I remember when the Red Sox put the finish line, the, the trophy, the World Series at the finish line, I was getting worked on therapy. I remember to my ther massage therapist saying, I hope to do that win for the Boston on Patriots Day. And so my purpose to answer your question did come true and is uh, to be influential in terms of sports and to be there for our runners and to be able to consciously, something my spirit told me to write the victim's name on the bib that I wore the night before. And, and to be able to just go, it went viral because I, I wrote Crystal, Sean, Martin, and Ling on my, you know, those other four victims that we lost, the bombing and the limbs and others mentally, physically that we have lost is irreplaceable. But I feel fortunate enough to be able to tell my story and be able to carry their names and give a little bit of a hope. And that's my purpose, to give a little bit of a hope for people to get the best out of themselves. You've done that through your whole life. I mean, look at where you look at where you came from and look at what you've accomplished. Do you um, coming back around to, uh, to to the Boston Marathon in particular? All right. Like, do you have some final advice for me for all the runners? Really? I mean, this is for anybody who runs marathons. This is applicable. But, um, you know, something to think about a mindset, certain things that you've mishapped along the way that learned for yourself when you were younger. I mean, hit me. What do I need to know? What's some good advice? Um, marathon is a metaphor for life. 
patience is a virtue. And Boston is a test of, for marathoning. I know you haven't done any other marathons or for those of you that are doing marathon for the first time, Boston is a um, challenging course, but we get excited. We get a narrow road at the beginning. And I made that mistake my first marathon. I went out fast and kind of said, what did I do that for? <laughs> so what you want to do is in the marathon, if you can make it your last mile, the fastest, you're going to have a great time. You're going to enjoy it. And the friendship, especially after what we've been through for the, with the pandemic and other things, you know, this is a celebration. 26.2 miles is a celebration. The hard work is done. Now, uh, tapering is, is the, the what you kind of run not as much, just kind of be healthy, be mentally, physically, and spiritually in the same page and say, hey, I'm going to go out there and have fun and have a good time with the people that are running there because, that's the beauty of, of running. You know, you just enjoy each other and, uh, and, and Bostonians know their sports, you know, with all the sport they have, but on Patriots Day there, they understand the big celebration to, from Hopkinton to Boston is on. So they're going to have a great appreciation. And uh, I think it's wonderful that, you know, we get to run again and uh, because, you know, they've the, the been, uh, you know, cancellation in the past. So this is, We've been injured or wounded. Now you come alive too. And we don't think anything for granted. Just be able to appreciate it. And, you know, we, we, we all have worked hard, but now the celebration becomes, and I want to wish you the best on all the runners because marathon you should do once in your lifetime. After that, it becomes optional. So I'm so happy for you that that's out of your bucket list, but hopefully we will, we will hook you up into this marathon thing or have marathons. <laughs> and it's a great community. It is. I, I have. I, I do feel that we're there's a because I'm running for charity. So there's a there's a group for the charity. And, you know, there's a bunch of us on a, on a text thread where we send messages back and forth. And then my sister's running it as well, as well as my very good friend, Aaron, who um, I've worked out with for many years. And so, you know, we the three of us have texted a lot about things. So I think you're right. And the metaphor for life, it's so true. There's so much micro macro to look at. I was telling my friend when we were running our 16 miles the other day, I said, you know, in our whole training, there's been like peaks, peaks and valleys and times where you have something go wrong. And that's just, you know, those were macro for the, like, we're going to get to the marathon. And if we don't have something happen within those 26.2 miles that hits a peak or a valley or something like that, and we need each other, I will be shocked. So I think that's an incredible perspective on it. And I think that as far as uh, I know that as far as your purpose goes, you, you have been living that you have been living that example of, um, showing people what is possible and having faith. And um, I'm grateful for that. So many people are. So thank you so much for your time. And congratulations on just, you know, millions of miles of proving to people what is possible by the human body and spirit. Thank you so much, Danica. It means a lot. And, uh, you know, running for charity is important because we've been very fortunate to be in a pedestal or have the big honor and responsibility to do things for others. And for me, you know, I ran for the Team for Kids in New York and I ran for Martin Richards Foundation, the eight-year-old boy in Boston. And that was a thrill of a lifetime. And, you know, I have my own foundation, the foundation that I would like to run sometime. And, uh, you know, 
I love oh. to have others compete and whatnot. So if you are up for another marathon, I might hit you up on it. <laughs> oh man. Okay. That's, oh, don't do that to me. I'm so competitive. And so like, oh man, you've got, don't me. worry. You got a personal best waiting for you on October 11. <laughs> oh, that's a fact. It's by default, but that's true. That is still true. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, I will say that halves seem like a no big deal, right? Like a half seems like I, right now after 16 years, yesterday? Yeah, I could probably go out and run 13 miles. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see about that. We'll see. We'll see about that 26.2. I mean, you'll is be it fine. Easy? You'll be fine. You'll have a great time. All right. Well, thank you fine. so much. And congratulations on just having an amazing life. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your wonderful, illustrious <laughs> career and keep going. And then to be able to do this in a marathon, welcome to the running community and looking forward to seeing you on October 11th. I'll be there. I think we will see you. I think there's some lunch or something I heard about. So I'm going to come over and say hi, if that's okay. Awesome. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.